What we want to look at this morning is the sliding career of Satan. Like I said, it's good to know your enemy. Um, that's In warfare, that's one of the prime tactics, right? You know, if you were to go to battle, you want to know all about your enemy. You want to know how your enemy behaves. You want to know how your enemy acts. You want to know the extent of your enemy's arsenal, as it were. Um, and, and we should do that. We should absolutely do that. We should know our enemy. I think last Sunday evening I said that this is a battlefield. We're, we're in a war. And it is good to know who we're fighting against and the tactics he uses because he regurgitates the same tactics all the time. You know, doing some uh, discipleship with uh, Caden and Addison on a Friday morning, we were, we were just going through the book of John, not any particular structure to it, just reading the verses and talking about it and just dealing with, you know, um, the fact that Jesus was God, that he was, you know, the last Adam, that he came to restore everything that the first Adam lost. And then we looked at the temptations and the correlation between what happened in the garden and the tactics that the enemy used to what happened in the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4. And it's the same tactics the enemy uses and rules out all the time. And we've got to know this. And, you know, <coughs> excuse me. One of the things we have to remember about Satan is to not remember, but also not um, belittle him, not mock him, but understand him. And, and that's important because he is a great enemy. But we, we often attribute things to Satan that don't belong to him. We give him qualities that he never possessed. So we make him omnipotent, all-powerful. We make him omnipresent, all-present, and say that he's everywhere at once, and that's absolutely not true, because he is a created being. He's an angel. He's a created being. He doesn't have uh, the powers that only God has. He is limited. And you know, we, we, we often attribute it that, he, that he's able to do things that he's not. No, the, one, the number one thing that we attribute to the devil and say that he can do, that he definitely cannot, he cannot make you do anything. He cannot make you do anything. So many people say, oh, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He may have influenced you. He may have put things in your path that have tempted you and tripped you up. But he cannot make you do anything. He's not God. He's not the sovereign creator and he's not the sovereign ruler. And, you know, we get this picture of him, and, and the Hollywood picture of what he looks like in this, you know, big, ugly, demonic character. I couldn't be further from the biblical truth. And we're going to have a little bit of a look at that uh, this morning. But what I want to do from Revelation chapter 12 and looking at some other our passages, I want to look at Satan's career. I want to show you that it's a sliding career. That he starts off at the top and works his way to the bottom, quite literally, is what he does. And when, we, when we're dealing with Satan, we, we look at his, the five abodes, or five dwelling places of Satan. And there is one past dwelling place, we're going to look at that this morning. There's one present dwelling place, we'll look at this. There's three yet future places where Satan is going to be. So to start with this morning, we want to look at Satan's past dwelling place and if you quickly look at revelation 12 and verse number four there we'll actually we'll read verse three revelation 12 three says there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head 
Now, there's symbolic meaning there, but we're not doing that this morning, so we'll leave it there. Verse 4, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and it cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. The woman here, in the context, we don't have time to do that, is Israel. The child is Christ. Absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, I believe. Um, but regardless, we're dealing with Satan. And we want to look at his past place. And here in, Re- in Revelation 12, 4, it takes us to the point where Satan fell from heaven. And he drew a third part of the stars of heaven. That's the angelic host. A third part of the angelic host he took with him in his rebellion against God. So here we're dealing with Satan's past place. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. Excuse me. Ezekiel 28. This is the first dwelling place of Satan, if you like. And in his career progress, this is him at the top. Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Now, Ezekiel 28 starts to talk off about the king of Tyre, talking about a real king of Tyre. He's a picture, he's a type, or he's a foreshadow of Satan. And then in verse 11, we move to that foreshadow and says this Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now we know at this point that it's not the king of uh, Tyre at the actual time period where there was a king in Tyre. We know that now we're dealing with the picture or what he foreshadows, what he points to. And that takes us to a different time period. It takes us to Eden, the garden of God. Now we're talking about Lucifer, Satan. There's been an Eden, the garden of God. Now now look at the description, the biblical description here. And compare it to the Hollywood one. Every precious stone was thy covering. These are gemstones, the sardius, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes in thee in the day that thou was prepared. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in Thee. This is Lucifer. This is the anointed cherub. This is the first dwelling place of Satan. Literally in God's heaven. The Bible tells us about three heavens. We know this because Paul said he was caught up to the third heaven, which means there's one and two heavens below. What are these three heavens? The third heaven is God's dwelling place. Out of time and space. The second heaven is the stellar heavens. The sun, the moon, the stars, the universe, if you like. The first heaven is earth and the atmosphere, our dwelling place. And Satan's past dwelling place wasn't the first heaven here, wasn't the second heaven, the stellar heavens, but it was the third heavens, God's dwelling place. He was the anointed cherub. That word anointed means the covering cherub. It means he was the chief of the angelic order. Angels have an order to them. Again, you know, we look at Hollywood. Don't get your theology from Hollywood. 
Get your theology from the Bible. From the Bible. Not from the movies. Not from these great angels that fly down with wings and look like men. With harps. and Behave yourself. <laughs> That's not biblical. That's not biblical. Yes, there are angels with wings, but they don't look like human beings. And every angelic appearance of the lowest order of the angels that happened in the Bible is them appearing as men. No fluffy wings, no fellers left behind, no coming down on clouds going ding, ding, ding. <laughs> it's, it's not there. It's Hollywood. It's Hollywood. So the, the angelic order is, is something like this. We have the angels, the, the messengers of God. Then we have what's called the seraphim. You can read about this in Isaiah chapter 6. And these have six wings. And then you have the cherubim. These are the highest of the order. And there is an order of the angelic host and worship before God. And the cherubim are at the, the pinnacle. They're at the peak you find the angels before the throne. You find the seraphim around the throne. And then when you get to the presence of the throne, indeed, uh, under and over the throne, you have the cherubim. That's why the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the Ark of the Covenant has two cherubim over the top of it. Because that's the place where God's manifest presence was. They are the pinnacle. They are the protectors of God's glory. And Satan, Lucifer, wasn't just any one of these cherubs. He was the anointed cherub, the covering cherub. That means he was at the very top of the pile. He was the pinnacle. He was the very most blessed, if that even makes grammatical sense, of all the created angels. That was his past position. He was the chief cherub. He was the protector of God's Glory. Perfect in all his ways, but yet with the ability to choose contrary to his nature. Created him wisdom and beauty. A magnificent being. A beautiful being. Again, think Hollywood. Doesn't really look magnificent or beautiful. Done a good job of hiding who he is. But the reality is he was God's pinnacle of the created angelic order. He was the protector of God's glory. This was the position that he had until verse 15, Ezekiel 28. It was perfect in thy ways from the day that they was created till iniquity was found in thee. What was the iniquity? Isaiah 14. Turn there quickly. Isaiah 14 verses 12 to 14. Pride was his downfall. Here we have the five I wills. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Five I wills in there. Full of pride. Wanting God's position. Wanting to be worshipped. Wanting to have a, an order below him that he was at the top of. And you have to remember that that's still Satan's plan today. You know, we look in a world and say, all the evil that's caused is, is Satan. No, no, no. You know that Satan can't control human beings as much as God allows them to, to operate in their sin. 
Because Satan wants control, he wants worship, he wants an ordered system of that. And there are people today that are not responsible to any order. They will not stand before any order. They are wicked and they're left to their own devices and uncontrollable. Satan wants worship, controlled and organized. It's the world system. You have to remember this. This is what's going on. Satan just doesn't run about just think, I'll do a bit of evil here, I'll do a bit of evil there. He has a plan, he has a purpose. What's his plan what's his purpose? It's revealed to us in Isaiah 14. I will be like the Most High. He wants God's place. Full of pride. And because of this, because of this pride, because of this, he falls from heaven. He is expelled from the third heaven, God's dwelling place, back to Revelation 12, verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. This is the fall. And when we meet Lucifer, Satan, in the Garden of Eden, he has fallen from his position as the anointed cherub. He has relinquished that position because of his behavior. So that's his past position. God's dwelling place, the third heaven, the protector of God's glory. When we meet him in Eden, he's a fallen being. That leads us to his present place. What is his present place? His present position as the anointed cherub has been lost, but his current position is, I believe, the second heaven. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says this, where in times past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air, who is that? That's Satan, Ephesians 6, verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Again, there's an ordered system here. Against spiritual wickedness in high places, or really heavenly places. Heavenly places. What does this mean? So, let me me expand this a little bit for you. We're dealing with three heavens. First heaven, our dwelling place. Okay? Yeah, with me? Second heaven, the stellar heavens. When we look into the stars and space, the universe, that's the second heaven. Check? Okay. Third heaven, God's dwelling place. Satan's past position was God's dwelling place. He was kicked out of there because of his rebellion, because of his pride, because of his determination to be like God. And as part of that fall, he drew a third part of the other angels with him in his rebellion. Then we come to the second heaven, the stellar heaven, and this is where I believe Satan dwells now. Now he has access to earth, no doubt about that, but bear with me, what what am I talking about here? Because as it said there, Ephesians 6.12, we ask not against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual weaknesses in heavenly places. I want to take you back to Babel. I want to take you back to Genesis 11. So we've heard of the Tower of Babel. Maybe some of you haven't this morning. But in Genesis chapter number 11, uh, what you find is this organized rebellion against God. That is Genesis 11, isn't it? Yes, good. (laughs) This organized rebellion. And Nimrod is the central figure in this, who is leading people to organized worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars, really behind it, 
Satan. That's what the Tower of Babel is. It was an attempt by those people to make a building that could get them into heaven. What it was, was a center of astrology. It was a place of worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars. It was a place of worship of the second heaven. It was a place of worship of Satan and Lucifer. That is the dominion of his power now. Now he can access earth, he walks to and fro, seek him whom he may devour, but the worship he receives is to the second heaven. How do you tie this in? Tie it into any pagan occult worship that you, you want to do. Any of it. Where will you find it's directed to? Sun, the moon, the stars in some form. All of it. Islam. Worship of the moon god. The Egyptians that worshipped the sun. The Romans came along and what did they do? They worshipped the planets. Gave them all names. The occult now. So tied in. You know, the, 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 the earth movement. Everything. Everything. And what was the sun, the moon and the stars ultimately created for? Number one. They give us seasons and times. But you think about the universe and the expanse of it. Why would God do that? Well, the psalmist tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. It's so that man can look at them and go, my goodness me, this could not have come about by accident. There is an amazing power behind this. And this is called general revelation that should make us reflect and look towards the creator God. But what's happened? The enemy has took that and he has abused that, and he has turned that round and made an end worship of him. And God warned about this. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19. Deuteronomy chapter number 4, verse 19. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Deuteronomy chapter number 4. Verse 19, here we have some warnings given from God to Israel, to the people. Verse 19, unless they lift their eyes up unto heaven, and when they see us, the sun, the moon, and the stars, even all the host of heaven, should be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the heaven. There's a warning there to God's people to turn, to be warned about that. That if they turn to it, they'll start to worship it. And we live in a world that, that just worships it. They don't even know they do it, half of them. You know, how many people have, have you met that follow star signs? Right? There may be some of you here that are Christians and follow star signs. Speak to me after about that. We need a bit of work to be done. <laughs> it's a star worship. And ultimately, like I was trying to say last Sunday night, behind all these kind of different manifestations, it, it's a pyramid system. You understand that? That no matter what kind of aspect of this, it ultimately the worship goes back to one. And the one the worship goes back to is the one that rebelled against God, that had that past position as the anointed cherub, that fell, was kicked out from the third heaven to the second heaven, having access to earth, the first heaven, but yet receiving the worship of man for himself because that's his plan and his purpose. Isaiah 14, I will be like the most high. So this position that Satan has now, his present position is the second heaven. He also has access before God now, still. Turn to Job chapter number one. 
I think this is important to study this stuff because we, we don't know. We don't know our enemy. This will really help you, uh, hopefully, when we get through. You may be saying this is not helping me now, but hopefully when we get through it, seeing the chronology here will help us put certain things in, in the right place. But Job chapter number 1, verse 6 says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Job chapter 2, verse 1. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So Satan in his present position, although he's been kicked down from the third heaven, God's dwelling place, although he's lost his position as the anointed cherub, in his present position, he still can come before God, as we've seen in Job. Back in Revelation chapter number 12, verse 10, this access is used by Satan to do what? To accuse the people of God. Revelation 12, verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So Satan in his present position is able to go before God. He's lost the privilege of the anointed cherub, the permanency of that position. But he is allowed to go before God and he comes before God and he accuses the brethren. That's us. That's us. And he comes before God and he tells God what we've been doing. You know, I don't think he has to lie here. I think we give him enough ammunition that he doesn't have to lie. He accuses, he accuses, he accuses. But we know we have an advocate, don't we? We have one that stands before the Lord, the right hand of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, whoever lives to make intercession for us. What intercession is he making? He's making intercession against the accuser of the brethren who's coming before God, accusing you. Saying, look at they've done. Look at how they're behaving. Look at what they've, they've let themselves get into once again. And Christ stands up and says, they're mine. Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. That's the beauty. But Satan in his present position, he's access to the third heaven. He takes his worship to the second heaven. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says he's the God of this world. We're also told in scripture that he walks to and fro like a lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's access to the earth. He is power over the earth. But his throne is above the earth, I believe. The second heaven. So we've looked at his past position. We've looked at his present position. Now quickly we want to have a look at his three future places. First place, unfortunately, for those that will be there, is the earth and the earth alone. So look at Revelation 12. This is hopefully now, we'll tie this in together. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels, this Revelation 12, 7, fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought on his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, which deceived the whole world, and he was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God 
day and night. Down to verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and dwell ye that dwell in them. Both the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath. Because he knows that he has but a short time. So here we're dealing with a future place of Satan. Here we're told about a war in heaven. That war in heaven I believe is the second heaven. It's not God's dwelling place where the war is. But it is one of the heavens. I believe it's the second heaven. Why do I believe this? Because here's what I think happens. And here's the chronology I believe of when this war takes place. I believe this war starts at the beginning of the tribulation period. That's the first. uh, That's the seven year tribulation period. We've been dealing with this on Sunday nights. And what happens at this event, we're, we're a pre-tribulational uh, church, we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture here, right? And the rapture takes place before these events take place. The rapture is, is talked about, let's turn there actually, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 to 17. Well, I want us just to think about this really, because <clears throat> it helps us in this kind of chronology. 1 Thessalonians four fifteen. Says this, for we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. John fourteen tells us that the Lord promised, "Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me." My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. This is talking about the rapture. This is the coming of Christ for his church. We meet him in the air. And then we go to be where he was. Where was he? Where is he? He's in the third heaven. That's where we go. And this happens at the rapture. So if you think about this, let's just think about this. And this is what I believe triggers the war in heaven. Because Christ is in the third heaven. We are in the first heaven. We're told in Thessalonians that the Lord comes. He comes to the air. The air of where? The first heaven to receive us unto himself. That where he was, we may be also. Where was he? Third heaven. So that's where we go at the rapture. We don't meet him in the air and come back down. I don't believe that bears out in scripture. When you look at all the different verses, they're two different events. So the rapture teaches that we go to be with him. And that one day we will come back with him. We will turn with him when he comes with his saints. When he comes to usher in the kingdom at the end of the tribulation period. The point I'm making is this. Christ is coming. For his church. And he's coming to the air. He's coming from the third heaven. To the first heaven in the air. That means to me. That he passes through the second heaven. To come to the first heaven. What happened the last time. Christ was on earth. In the demonic realm. What happened? Did they shy away? Or was there demonic activity like never before? Did Christ send ripples throughout the demonic world? Do you remember the demoniac at Gadara? They knew who Christ was. They felt his presence. How could they not? He was God, right? 
So when Christ comes again, surely the demonic world will feel that presence. Makes sense, doesn't it? Absolutely it does. And in Thessalonians, we're told this other little fact. We're told that uh, there's a, the, the, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. The voice of the archangel. The archangel's who? Come on, begins with M and ends in L. Michael, Michael. And is the archangel Michael, is he, is he some type of messenger, like Gabriel, that just announces news, scripturally? I'm working on you this morning, but this is, this is like Sunday nights. This is what you get on Sunday nights. No, Michael is a warrior angel. He is the protector of Israel. He's a protector of God's people. And so it's interesting to me at this point where Christ comes back to the first heaven, that it's with Michael the archangel, the noise of Michael the archangel, the warrior angel. So here's what I think happens. And again, I'm not going to be dogmatic on it, but this is what I think happens. That the war in heaven in Revelation 12 happens whenever Christ comes back from his church. It sends some ripple out in the demonic world. And Satan does what he wants to do or can try to do to stop that, to hinder the program of God. And there's this great war in the second heaven. Will we see it? Probably not. It's a supernatural thing. But I believe it's the rapture that triggers it, that it goes on for three and a half years. It's a war, not just one fight. And at the midpoint, after three and a half years, Revelation 12, the war is won. And what happens? Satan is kicked down one more time. Where to? The earth. The earth. (coughs) No longer access to the second heaven. No longer access to God. He's no longer the accuser of the brethren. (coughs) Excuse me, Revelation 12. Verse 10. The end of it, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down to the earth. Then we go to verse 12, where there's a warning to those that are on the earth. It says, for the devil has come down onto you and has great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Why is his time short? Because now he only has three and a half years before Christ comes back. So now we're witnessing the sliding career of Satan. Where was he? Right at the very top. Then he lost that position, moved to the second heaven, yet had access to God to accuse the brethren, access to earth where he is the prince of of the earth, the God of this world, who's blinded the people of this uh, world. But after this battle, this war in heaven, (coughs) excuse me, which is yet to come, he's cast down to earth with three and a half years to go. Then, (coughs) excuse me, oh dear, Satan's after my voice. After this, then we get to one more or two more dwelling places and we'll we'll wrap this up this morning. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 to 3. What I would say to you, another little side study before we get into this, just talking about this whole concept of the, the second heaven, the sun, the moon and the stars. And how they've been taken away by the enemy. That which was declared the glory of God is now used for false worship. When you get into the end of Revelation and you get to the point where you have the new Jerusalem coming down and and God has has dealt with it, fixed it. You will look in those verses and you will see that the sun, the moon, the stars are gone. 
you'll see that the, the glory, the light of it is, is Christ and Christ alone. What's happened there? Personally, I believe when God does his remodeling, the second heaven is removed. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. Why? It was only there to show forth the glory of God. But in the new heavens, in the new earth, the glory of God is amongst us. It says there's no need for light. You can look at those references yourself. Now, Revelation 20, verse number 1-3. Remember it said there's three future places for Satan. Number one, he's going to be cast into the earth where he's confined to the earth for those three and a half years. Then, Revelation 20, verses 1-3, to we have the bottomless pit. This is when we have the return of Christ to set up his kingdom. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid on, hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should not, not deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. So here we have this sliding career of Satan. He's in the first heaven, he's cast the second heaven, he's then confined to the third heaven. Now we find him being put in the bottomless pit and, and held and bound for a thousand years. This is the millennial kingdom. And then one final dwelling place, Revelation 20, verse number 7. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sea of, sand of the sea. And they went out upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone and the, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And this is Satan's final dwelling place. This is his destiny. He had it all, and he lost everything by his own pride and his own determination to take that which belongs to God and God alone and desire worship for himself. And as we see him progress, each time he goes down and down and down and down. That's the sliding career of Satan. And it's good to remember that, believer. You may be sitting here and you may uh, not be born again. You may have never looked at this. You may be new to all this and thinking, this sounds like absolute craziness. It probably will to you. But for those that know the Lord, that know that this battle is real, that know that our enemy is real, here's what I want you to take away this morning. God wins God wins that the enemy is powerful absolutely he is that the enemy is above and beyond us absolutely he is but he's not above and beyond God and at all times he is always under the sovereign rule of God because God is the sovereign ruler of all Satan is not God he is a created being a created being that was given everything and threw it all away on the altar of pride, on the altar of wanting man's worship.
The thing is, folks, he has been successful in taking worship away from God. He's been successful in having God's own creation made uniquely with well, intellect, and emotion, the ability to know about God and turn to him. And he has taken us and manipulated us. And all of us at one point were worshipping him. Some of us here this morning are still worshipping him and giving him the glory that only God is due. Folks, God is going to deal with him. He's going to have his place. But I wonder this morning, would God deal with us? Even as believers, we can put our worship all different ways. All different ways. But the reality of it is, if we're not worshipping God, whatever we're doing, we're worshipping the enemy. Let me give you a little phrase that I maybe gave a couple of weeks ago that may be hard-hitting, may or may not agree, but... All doctrine, or all doxology, all praise, all worship, all doctrine that does not lead to doxology, so all doctrine that doesn't lead to right worship, is demonic. It's demonic. Who are you going to back this morning? Are you going to back Satan and his side career? Or are you going to put it all in the one who sits above all, who stands above all, and reigns over all? Let's put our worship in the Lord and trust him alone. Let's pray.